Hey. Hi. So I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read John three, and we're going to talk a little bit about the gospel to get started. So John three, starting in verse one, says, "Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews." This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can come from God, uh, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So here we see a man who come to Jesus and a Pharisee of all things. He was the, the teacher. He was the leader of the Pharisees at that time. He was the, their main teacher. And he comes to Jesus and asks him a very important question. And Jesus tells him something that amazes him and stuns him. He says... If you want to be a, a, a Christian, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Which is something that they haven't really, um, they weren't used to hearing at this time. And it's a, it's a concept that, that's really amazing and it's, it's, it's huge. What Jesus is saying here is we're born of the flesh. We're born into this world and we're born as sinners. And unless God himself comes, the Holy Spirit and changes a heart through the preaching of the gospel or the teaching of the gospel, um, then we, we can't be saved. And what Jesus is saying here is you have to be born again. There's no such thing as a, um, a Christian who isn't born again. You know, you've, you've probably heard people say, well, I'm a born-again Christian. Well, there's no such, there's no other thing other than a born-again Christian. You can't distinguish the difference between a born-again Christian and a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a born-again believer. You've been born of the Spirit. And that's what's so important is for us to understand that God himself came as a man, as Jesus Christ, born into this world. We're going to talk about this a little bit further and deeper tonight. He was born of the Virgin Mary, born exactly like us. He kept the law perfectly. He never sinned. He lived, um, and he, he lived a life that Adam failed at living, and he was obedient to God. And he, he had to die as a man, that's why he had to be truly man. He had to be. He had to die as a man in order to pay for our sins. And so that is the gospel. That understanding that Jesus Christ is God, and we follow Him. We believe in Him. We don't believe in Him like we believe in Abraham Lincoln, right? We can, we can believe that um, Abraham Lincoln was a president, or George Washington, or whoever you want to say. When we say believe in Jesus, it means something very different than that. It means that we believe in every single word that he says. Everything that he says that is true is true. And everything that he says is going to come to pass is going to come to pass. 
And when he says you have to be born again in, or, in order to enter the kingdom of God, we have to understand this is true. This is true. This is absolutely true. So we want to always start this um, class with talking a little bit about the gospel because it is the ocean that we swim in. I say that all the time, and we're going to get a little bit deeper into what I mean by that too tonight, hopefully, if we can get to the Castonian Creed. So is there any 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 thoughts or anything on the gospel before we jump into our study? Or any, any uh, additional comments? Okay. So last week, um, we began going through the Nicene Creed. Um, and if you'll remember, when we first started talking about it, there was a reason that the Nicene Creed was written. And um, it, it all came down from um, Constantine, who uh, was trying to put a, a stop to all the fighting and bickering that was going on between the Trinitarians and the Arians. Um, Arians who believed that Jesus was essentially adopted uh, as, as God. He was a creation, he was a creature, he was made by God, and he was just better than all the other angels, so he became, um, he became a deity. But he was a, a, a created deity. He was like a demigod. And so that's what they were fighting about in the streets that Constantine wanted to put a stop to. And so he calls this council, um, and there was 318 bishops that had to come together from all over the world. Um, and it was the first church council. And when we say church council, we mean worldwide. So there was bishops from all over the the known world at the time that came together to this council and they all had to agree on um, this creed and what it said. So we began going over it. We went through most of it last week, but um, I asked you guys if you wanted to finish it and you said, yeah. So we're going to finish this. We're, we, um, we left off where it says, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to just read the whole thing just to kind of refresh in our memory on what, the whole, what it says. It says, we believe in one God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, he proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life and to life in the world to come. Amen. So we started working our way out. I think that... You guys should probably understand it up to this point. It's pretty simple. Most of this language came from straight out of the scriptures. 
But we got to this section where it says, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. By the way, this is um, called the Phileo Clause. It was added later. Um, and there's a big debate over this being added because there's certain churches today um, that would, would they hold church councils equal to Scripture. We do not. We do not. Um, anything that's a church council, anything, any of these creeds, we compare them to Scripture because Scripture is our ultimate and final authority. Um, we can never put a creed equal with Scripture. A creed's just an easy way for us to memorize Scripture. That's, that's basically what it is, to kind of simply state what it is that we believe. Um, and so they, they put this creed together. But there are churches that, that um, they broke away. This is where the split of the Roman Catholic Church came. They broke away to east and west because of this phileo clause. Um, where it says, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. From this clause on down, this was added a few years later, and it wasn't at the church council. This is just for your information. I still agree with it because it's still scripture, but they cast it out and split over it because um, it wasn't actually put into the creed at this church council. So if you ever hear that, that's, that's what that means. But what it says here is, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. So this is the third member of the Trinity. If you remember, we've, this creed's been showing the unity of the Trinity. We saw the unity of God the Father and Jesus Christ. It says how that they both created the earth. We talked about how that, um, that the whole Trinity is involved in every aspect of ministry that the Trinity does. Um, but we distinguish them in different roles because they have different roles. We don't distinguish them in rank, right? We don't say, well, God the Father, he's number one and the most important. And then you got Jesus Christ who's lower, you know, a little bit less than the Holy Spirit who's lower than him. We can't do that. They're all perfectly united together. They're perfectly God. And so that's what this is trying to do is show us that um, the Holy Spirit is united perfectly not, uh, not as uh, something that's less than, but something that is equal to God, the Father, and God, the Son. And so that's what this is talking about. Um, it says the Holy Spirit is Lord. The Holy Spirit is Lord. Somebody read, I want to, this is some of the scriptures. I wrote them over here um, last week. We had that big old list of scriptures that we were trying to get through. So I'm going to have you guys read some of these. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.17 is going to be the first one that's going to be applicable to what we're talking about here. Do you have any volunteers who wants to read each one of these? You can kind of start loading some of these up in your Bible um, and get ready to read because I'm going to call on you guys to do that. Okay, yeah, go ahead. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage through freedom. Yep. So here, we, this is where this comes from, the Holy Spirit, um, the Spirit of the Lord, is, there is liberty. So it talks about this in 2 Corinthians. So we see also that in this creed, the last statement here um, about the Holy Spirit, we believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, and then it says the giver of life. And that is found in Titus 3, 5 through 7. 
Titus 3, 5 through 7. Rick, you, I'm not, there, no. not there. Is anybody? Okay, go ahead, Daniel. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. There we go. So we see the Holy Spirit being the, the giver of life in this verse. The Holy Spirit in the last part of verse 7 uh, so that we could be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. I just want to make sure I got this straight. The Phileo Clause. Yeah. The only reason it, that it's with the church was because it was added, not that it was wrong. It was because it was added. Okay. And the, the church, because they, they held the church councils to being equal, as equally authoritative as Scripture itself, okay. then what the people who split off, they said, well, this wasn't part of the original council. So it would be like if I went over there and started adding verses in the, in the, okay. in the Bible. And so you guys would be like, you can't do that, <laughs> you know? Okay. And so that's, that's basically what happened. And so the church actually split over that. Okay. Yeah. I just want to have straight things. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. So here um, in Titus, we see that. And then the next statement says, He proceeds from the Father and the Son. So this is the Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and this isn't talking about his origin of being. We keep using that word being. This is, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the command of God being in perfect, uh, perfect harmony with the Trinity being carried out, right? Um, being carried out by the Holy Spirit. So this comes from uh, John 15, 26. John 15, 26. Does anybody have that? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So here we see the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. So that's just where that comes from to help us to kind of get our heads wrapped around this um, this creed. So the Holy Spirit um, here it, it says also, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He is worshipped and glorified. So the Holy Spirit is worshipped and glorified with the, with the Father and the Son. This is why, this is one of the reasons that we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we talked a little bit um, before about um, how that some people don't do that. Some people only, only baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. We believe that we need to baptize in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is showing that the Holy Spirit is united to God and is God, so that when we worship God, then we're worshiping the, the Holy Spirit. That's something that's kind of hard for us to understand is we say that we worship God. When we say we're worshiping God, we're worshiping all three. We're worshiping the Holy Spirit, we're worshiping the Son, and we're worshiping God the Father. So we don't have to, we don't have to, to say, oh, I'm, I need to spend five minutes worshiping the Father, and then I'm going to spend another five minutes and worship the Son, and then I'm going to spend another five minutes and worship the Holy Spirit. Because some people get confused with that. Um, when we worship in God, they are triune. They, we, have, we believe in monotheism, one God. So we're worshiping all three. Does that make sense? Okay.
Okay. And also, um, what is worship? Is worship just something that um, that we do with our mouths and with music, or does it go beyond that? Present your lives as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. Which means what? Everything. It's all good. That's right. That's what worship is. Yeah, a lot of times we want to to say, you know, we say, well, we we got praise and worship, and then we have preaching. Preaching is worship. Preaching is one of the most important parts of worship. But not just preaching, um, living. Every action, every decision, everything that we do in life, we do to glorify God and to honor God. We worship Him in our actions. We worship Him in the things that we say and the way that we respond to people whenever people may not be so nice to us. That's hard to do, right? <laughs> it's very hard to do. So that is worship. And then the next statement here says, He spoke through the prophets. This comes from Second Peter 1, 20-21. Rick? 20-21. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but uh, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And this is something that's important for us to understand, too, whenever Scripture is written. Um, some people have the idea that the Holy Spirit kind of took over each prophet and apostle and kind of turned them into a machine, and they just kind of, without their minds, just kind of started writing Scripture. Um but that's not the case, and that's what this says here that um, in verse 21 it says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved, that word moved by the Holy Spirit, spoken from God. So that's why that we can see different personalities. When we read Isaiah, we can see his personality. When we read Daniel, we see Daniel's personality. When we read you know, any, any book of the Bible, we can see the, the author's personality coming through, but they're being moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And so they, they're writing with their personality intact. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's important for us to understand too. And then the next question says, We believe in, the holy, in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And we talked at the very get-go that the word Catholic, it means universal. Um, any of the, the early church writings, they're always going to say that, um, that it is Catholic church. That's because there was no denominations. There was zero denominations at the time. There was one church. And it was considered a united Catholic church. That doesn't mean Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic came along much later. So that's something that we need to understand. And that's why that we can agree to this creed. We can agree to this creed because we do believe in, in one universal church. We believe that everybody who is in Christ is a part of the church. We believe that. It doesn't matter what color you are, what nation you live in, what time period you lived in. You're part of the Catholic Church. You're part of the United Church of Christ. And so um, today we have thousands of church denominations, and that makes it that makes it kind of hard for us to understand, but... What unites us? What's the thing? What's the thing? The thing that unites the church? Christ. Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christ. Exactly. Exactly. It's Christ. The gospel. Understanding the gospel. Jesus Christ. That's what unites us. And we talked um, 
last week about this the word kairos. Uh, the word kairos is the Greek word for Lord. If you remember last week, uh, which is a possessive title for God. Um, and we talked about how that the church is called ekklesia. Is, that's the Greek word for ekklesia. Um, as an individual within the ecclesia as a person that's within the church, um, we're called a doulos. That's what scripture calls us. It's the Greek word doulos, which is important to understand because kairos and doulos go together. A kairos is a lord and a doulos is a slave. And so what this shows is that uh, people who um, are made up of the body of Christ, we belong to Christ. He, we're purchased we're purchased by the blood of Christ, is what Scripture says. So um, we've been removed from the world. That's what the word ecclesia means. It means those that have been called out from the world. We've been removed from the world because we've been purchased. We are doulos because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the curios, to the curios. We are um, not our own. So we can't just go out and do whatever that our nature wants to do. We do what glorifies God. That's what we, we are as Christians. So this is what the language is talking about here. Um, and this is how that we are united. This is one of the, way that, the ways that we, are, that we are united to Christ, is that we all are a part of him. We are, have been purchased by the blood of Christ. We're believers. We are his bride, is what uh, Scripture says. And he's coming back for us one day. And that's going to be an amazing, amazing thing for us to look forward to. And then the last thing here says, we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Um, this is confusing. Does this confuse anybody? <laughs> so one of the things that we can say is um, we, we know that we're only supposed to be baptized one time. Uh, that's all that we should be baptized. Not that it's wrong to be baptized multiple times, but we believe that, um, that you're, we believe in believer's baptism that you're supposed to be a Christian when you're baptized. Um, and so there's no reason to be baptized again if you're a Christian because you don't lose your salvation. That's what we believe, being Baptist as a Baptist church. Um, but Scripture also makes a distinction between water baptism and being baptized into Christ. And that's why I have these two, Acts 2.28, and then I have a slash, Romans 6, 3 through 10. So we're going to see both instances here of what this is talking about. And this may bring a little bit of clarity um, to this statement. To this statement. So um, who's got Acts 2, 38? Okay. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you see that language comes straight from Acts 2, 2.38, um, that we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sin. Acts 2.38, that's where that language comes from. Um, of course, we know also that there is... Um, another type of baptism that scripture talks about. Let's somebody who's got Romans eight, three through ten. Or I'm sorry, six. Romans six, three through ten. Okay. Go ahead. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old selves, uh, our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if he died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to die. That's right, that's right. Now, does anything stand out there? Did anybody, did anything leap out at you that she read there? Thoughts? Dying in sin and living in Christ. Dying in sin, living in Christ. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. What about verse 3? Look at verse 3. Has everybody got their Bibles open no, to Romans 6? Um, in verse 3, something that kind of stands out to me is baptized into Christ baptized into Christ. So is this talking about water baptism? It's not. It's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about something entirely different. There's another thing that stands out in verse 5. For if we have become united, you can circle that word united. This is talking about unity. Being united to Christ. Baptized into Christ. United with him. So what we can see here is that Jesus Christ, he's not just an accessory that we add to our lives. That's not that's not what Jesus is. And so many people say that. I don't I don't, I don't really necessarily like it when people say that I um, accepted Jesus into my heart. Not that that's wrong, but I, I just don't, I kind of cringe a little bit because it's almost like you're adding him as some accessory. But this isn't what this is talking about. In uh, Ephesians 3.17, it makes um, a reference to Jesus dwelling in our hearts, but only after telling us 27 times, 27 times in the book of Ephesians, that we are in Christ. We are in Christ. And Paul also makes reference to this 165 times in Scripture. So you say, well, what does it mean to be in Christ? That's why I say that the gospel is the ocean that we swim in. It's like, being a Christian isn't just adding Jesus as an accessory to our lives. We're being submerged into him. Our entire environment has changed. It's like we've been dunked, dunked into the ocean. That's what it is. That's, that's this language. We are in Christ. We've been submerged into him. That's what a Christian is. And that's an amazing thing for us to understand. There's a, there's a big, big difference here. Um, we're kind of like a, like a fish in a lot of ways, right? Um, if you take a fish out of the water, the water comes out of the fish. And then what happens next? Fish dies, right? But when the fish is in the water, the water's in the fish. And the fish is submerged in this ocean, 
That's what we are. Christ is in us, and we're submerged into him as, as if we're, we're, that's what the language of being baptized is. is we're buried with him. We're submerged into Christ. This is very deep and very uh, amazing thing to understand, and it should change everything about the way that we approach life. Because our lives should be very different. Mm-hmm. Should be very different. So can you say in both of those scriptures, no matter whether you're talking about the, uh, the act of baptism or like in Romans, both of them is we're, we become identified with Christ. Right. That's, that's what it is. We are identifying ourselves with Christ and what he has done. Yeah, yeah. We're united to him. Yeah, yeah as his bride. Yeah, absolutely. My Bible uses an exclamation and it says immersed. It says submerged? Immersed. Immersed. Which is a good word. Immersed yeah. in the water and immersed in his works. So excellent. In yeah, that's excellent. Steve? One of my favorite passages about this in Christ thing that kind of goes back to God being timeless and therefore his perception of us and everything. You know, it's so wonderful. But um, Colossians 3. Starting in verse 2, it says, Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Yeah. So we're already there. That's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. That's an, that is a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing. That's right. That's right. So that's kind of explaining what they're talking about here. Um, And we have this last statement here where it says, We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come, which is kind of something that Steve just brought up. And this is a reality. This is the reality of any believer. Um, James 4, 13 through 14 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow... We will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, this scripture in James 4 was really, I would say, one of the scriptures that changed my life when I read it. Um, because at the time, I was, I was in my early 20s, and I was living um, life for me. I was trying to get everything that I could get out of this life. Just like most people are. It's that hedonism, right? We talked the very first day about hedonism, about trying to get all that we can out of life. That's the the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate purpose of life, and that what it, that's what the world believes. Um, Christians have a different type of hedonism that Piper talks about, John Piper. He talks about that we can only have true happiness, true joy in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's it. There's no other way that we can... Because everything else just comes up empty. The whole world, there's nothing that we can do to be fulfilled in this life unless we are in Christ, unless we're submerged into Him. So it's so important for us to understand. And then we, we're looking forward to this resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come, as it talks about here. What's John 3.16 say? That he gives only to God the Son, whoever believes in him will not perish. Not perish, but have eternal life. Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Yep. 
Any questions? That's pretty much it. Um, on I just had one question. Well, one thing that kind of bothered me was when it added um, that we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, whereas the Acts one uh, uh, states it different that it is because of the forgiveness of sins. The baptism doesn't give you forgiveness. It right. is a result of your forgiveness that you want to be baptized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And mine says for the forgiveness of your sins. In the Bible it does? Yeah. Oh, because mine says yeah, the, new the, the forgiveness yeah, of the sins. The NASB. What, which version do you that have? That was the Amplified. Amplified? No, that's right. Hmm? That's probably why the, the Amplified Bible. Is yeah. 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 I just had one comment on the two different baptisms. Yeah, yeah. In Matthew, John the Baptist talking. I'm sure everybody's heard this, but I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Mm -hmm. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we do see two baptisms yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. And one is forever. Yeah. Yeah. And one is symbolic of the other. Right. That's that's what's that's what's important for us to understand is we can't really see it as these independent things. Water baptism is symbolic of being baptized into Christ, right? We're being buried with Him, and um, we die with Him, and we come to life. We're born again in Him. So that's that's what um, water baptism symbolizes, right? That's interesting that you mentioned. I kind of think of someone who is just going through the act of baptism who is really not converted. They don't get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. It ends there because God's not recognizing it because their heart's not right. Yeah. So I think that's important to point out is us wanting to identify ourselves with Christ and what he did for us and then the Holy Spirit sealing us to that promise yeah. of eternal life. Yeah, that's a good point. That's you, a good point. It may be obvious to everybody else, but um, um, talks about you touched on the Catholic. In this context, what does the Apostolic Church mean, or what did it? Mean? Yeah. So Apostolic, the Apostolic Church means literally the apostles. Mm -hmm. So they believe that uh, the Apostolic period ended at the death of John and the closing of the Canon Scripture Revelation. So that's the apostolic church, was those who uh, followed Christ. And there are some uh, requirements in Scripture to be an apostle, and one of those was that you had to be called and taught by Christ himself. So that's the, that's the apostolic church. That's why we don't believe in apostles today. It's impossible. There cannot be an apostle today unless Jesus Christ physically manifests to them and teaches them, which is not in Scripture. Well, <laughs> and we can't go outside. Well, that's what happened with Paul, though. I mean, he was post- Christ living on earth. He was, and then Christ manifested, remember on the road to Damascus? Right. That's what I'm saying, but it, yeah. it, did, it did happen. Yeah, sure. it did, yeah, absolutely. It happen, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And, and then it could, could still happen, we just don't know. Well, we can't go outside of Scripture. That's the, that's the thing. We, we believe in a closed canon of Scripture, so anything, you know, anything outside of Scripture, we're going to, I'm going to be... Um, Kissing at. <laughs> so I'm going to be call, doing the. What are you calling outside the, of scripture? Anybody who says that that God appeared to them like Paul and told them, told them something, 
and uh, it's something that doesn't line up with scripture or something that um, that is outside anything that's outside of scripture. Well, if it doesn't line up, yes, that would that yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Can and I, if I mentioned one more thing about baptism, like that you brought out, is one thing that we have knowing what uh, the scripture that you were talking about meant was the fact that thief on the cross, he was not baptized. Right. And yet what Christ said. And everyone from the Old Testament who were believers yeah. with Christ, what was going to happen, obviously they were going to be saved. Yeah. So baptism cannot be the thing that saves you. That's right. Yeah, it cannot be. That's a good, that's a perfect point of clarity. We do not believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven. We don't believe that. We believe that that it is something that we do that represents being buried with Christ and being rose born again. It's, something, it's our public confession that we do. There are some churches that do believe that being baptized is what saves you. And there's some churches that, um, like the Church of Christ, for instance, they actually believe that. Um, they believe in um, that you have to be baptized to be a Christian. Yeah, there's some strange, there's some strange, but, but it can get confusing. That's why you have to, you know, we keep talking about that word hermeneutics, how that we connect scripture with scripture to get a complete picture. Mm-hmm. And I see that as, uh, I've said before, that the way that I see it to simplify it, because I'm a musician, is um, is, a, is a, an orchestra playing. If somebody's sounding out a wrong note, it stands out like a sore thumb. We've all been to high school band concerts. And we know what that sounds like. There's that squeaker, and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't know who that is, but that's not right. That's what hermeneutics is. It's taking all the scripture from Genesis to Revelation and tying it all together. And, may, and, to, and it fits perfectly, and if you hear a squeaker, a wrong note, there's not something wrong with, the, with, the, with the, the, that note. There's something with, uh, that's wrong with our understanding of it. There's something that's wrong with, um, if, if there's a verse that we're taking out of context that's kind of jumping out, of us, out at us that seems to be saying something different than what all the rest of Scripture says, then we're not understanding that verse. We're not understanding that. And that's what hermeneutics does, is it brings that all down to, uh, to where it fits perfectly and it sounds perfectly and beautiful together. Um, and there is no contradictions in Scripture. Zero. We do not believe that there are any contradictions. You can try to find contradictions, but I can guarantee you that there is not. <laughs> there is not. So if you ever find a contradiction, see Rick. <laughs> I didn't write any of yeah, yeah, he does that to me in Sunday school. So <laughs> I'm just getting him back. I'm just getting him back. So but you make a great point because you're talking about how does it match up with Scripture. Uh, obviously, the power is not in water, but there's power in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is the dividing line because we know from Scripture that's where the power resides, which is with God. Yeah. So it all flows. Indeed. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. All right, let's jump back into our study now for a minute. For a minute. Yeah, I know, we've got 15 minutes. I was really hoping to get to this stuff, but we may not. Um, so we're on page 31. Page 31. We'll just we'll kind of go through this real quick. Um, we're going to start getting into some of this a little bit. Um, 
just a little teaser. We're not going to, I don't think we're going to get very deep into it. So verse 31, it says the word Catholic means universal and does not refer to the Roman Catholic Church. We've already talked about that. And then I've got a question. What religion is Arian in their theology today? And we've talked about this a few times. Arianism, it's why the creed was written. Um, we mentioned it last week. What religion today is considered Arian? Does anybody remember from last week? Yes, Jehovah's Witnesses. That's right. That's right. And so <clears throat> the next statement says Satan wants to destroy wants to distort our churches the church's understanding of the Trinity, especially concerning the nature of Christ. So the Nicene Creed was not the end of the controversy as the council had hoped for. Um, there's always the, going to be these new heresies that kind of pop pop up through church history. I haven't really heard any new ones recently. It seems like by the you know the seventh church council, six we say sixth church council, they pretty much covered all the church heresies. It seems so. Today we just kind of hear the same ones regurgitated because we're ignorant of church history. So we hear um, we hear these same heresies kind of spewed over and over and over again. That's not to say that there can't be another one that pop, pops up. I'm just not aware of one that hasn't been addressed by the by the sixth church council, but. Um, there's some other ones that starts to pop up even though they were hoping that uh, this uh, Nicene Creed would put an end to it. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't. So um, one of the best ways of learning the attributes of God and and what it is to be a Christian, that what, the, what we would call orthodoxy or, or what's commonly believed by the church throughout church history, is by learning what God isn't. That's something too. We, we not only learn what God is, but we also learn what that he isn't. And so that's why that uh, we closely look at a lot of the battles that the church had to face. Um, so that way we don't re repeat these same mistakes over again. That's why church history is so important. So we can understand some of these heresies that have kind of jumped in to the church, and we've talked about how that God has a, he allowed some of these heresies to come into the church in order to force the church into better um, to to better theology would be the best way to put that to sharpening ourselves to to becoming um, very specific in the way that we talk about God. So the next point here says the next battle. The next battle that the church had to face over the doctrine of the Trinity was over what is called Eutychianism or Monophysitism. So it's most commonly known as Monophysitism. Eutychianism, uh, it just came from the guy, the, the, the man's name who, create, who came up with this, this heresy. So if we look at the word Monophysite, um, mono means what? One. Mono means one, and does anybody know what facite means? You see that, like it's um, it, it means nature. So it, so nature. So one nature is what monophysite means, and we don't believe that that Jesus Christ had one nature. We don't believe that, and so that's where where this is kind of going. Um, Eutychius, the next point here. Eutychius overreacted to the Nestorian heresy that the Council of Ephesus dealt with in A.D. 431 over the nature of Christ. Now, the Nestorian heresy 
is one that is near and dear to my heart. It's very interesting because it's one that I believed. And it's one that I believed because I had not been taught theology and doctrine. So I was, I was left on my own in trying to understand um, the nature of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, Nestorianism. You can see that I have it written up here on the board. Um, basically, what the Nestorius taught was that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man in one person. But what he did was he turned it on and off, kind of like a light switch. Kind of like a light switch. So, Jesus had two natures, is what Nestorius taught, um, but they're separated. They're separated. So, basically, Jesus was schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah, so he was, he, was, he, he was God, then he switched the switch over, and he was man. He switched the switch over and he was God. Switched the switch over and he was man. So um, he stated that Christ, this is um, uh, the next point here. Um, and so this is, I was talking a little bit first about Eutychius. Uh, he, he was the one, he was at this church council and he disagreed with Nestorius. And so he... Um, he said that he was that Jesus Christ was um, one person with one nature, and so that was an overreaction, an overreaction to to Jesus. So he said that Jesus Christ was theonthropic, which means God in one nature. So that word theon, or it's actually theo. He kind of crammed two words together. This isn't really a good word. This isn't a good um, Greek word. He took two Greek words and stuffed them together. It's not actually a, a Greek word. So he took the word theo, which means God, and anthropic. We know what anthropology is, right? The study of man. Mm -hmm. So he took God and man and stuffed them together into one word. And when he said that, um, that God had one nature. So in other words, Jesus was either humanly divine or he was divinely human is is kind of the way that he put it so what he meant was that jesus humanity was essentially dissolved or obliterated by his divine nature and so his exact words that he said was that jesus's um, humanity was dissolved like a drop of honey into the sea so Jesus' human nature was dropped into his godliness, into his uh, div divinity, and dissolved. And that's what Eutychius taught. So that's what the church is facing here, is Eutychianism, um, and, or what we call um, monophysitism is, is the better word for it, and Nestorianism, which is the most interesting one to me, um, Nestorianism. So... Um, what the church realized, let me read this next point, it says the church realized that what Eutychius was teaching made Jesus to be something entirely diff different. He was neither God nor man, like mixing powder with water and getting jello. So we know jello is not water and it's not powder, it's something different. And so that's basically what they understood that, um, that he was doing was creating something that, that was something entirely different. Um, he was more than man, but he was less than God, basically. So 
he was either a deified human or a humanized deity. And so that's what the church um, fought against. That was one of the, the main reasons that they, they came out with the, um, with the, the Chalcedonian Creed, which is the one that we're going to get to. So um, the two natures of Jesus are being mixed together by this heresy uh, or confused into one nature. That's why there's some language in here. So th this is going to start making sense. If you think of Jesus being mixed together like the jello thing or confused into one nature, um, we're going to start seeing some of this language in the, Ch in the Chalcedonian Creed. Um, R.C. Sproul, this is a quote that I've, I've said a couple times, is one of the most important distinctions you'll ever make is the distinction between a distinction and a separation. If I distinguish your body from your soul, I haven't harmed you. But if I separate your body from your soul, I have killed you. So it's so important for us to understand here um, the difference between a distinction and a separation. And so we can't um, separate the natures of Christ. We don't separate them. Uh, and we don't confuse them. But we distinguish them. Yeah. I guess the thing that confused me is use of the word natures. I mean, what is what are they calling nature here? Uh, you're talking about in the in the, uh, the Chalcedonian Creed? Oh, period. Huh? Period. Period? Yeah. No matter which, you know, every time nature has been used here, what are they talking about? What's okay. the definition of their nature? Okay. So, we'll, okay, let's talk about that. That's why I have this on the board. And we have five minutes to cover it. <laughs> so, all right. So, the two natures of Christ, unseparated. This is what the, the Chalcedonian Creed taught. They said that he was veridaeus, which means truly God. Verahomo, which means truly man. This is an important word. Very, very important word, truly. So this is the two natures of Christ. He's truly God. He's truly man. Okay? And the story is taught two natures of Christ separated. So we have unseparated and we have separated. Like light switch. Schizophrenic, right? So that's why that it's wrong to say that God's fully man and fully and fully God. That's that's why the story is taught. That's what you hear most people say today. I mean, it's because they don't understand this. Um, this is supposed to be a glass. <laughs> that's my artwork. So everybody's probably been staring at that going, my wife thought, what would you think it was, a trophy or something? It's handmade, you know. Yeah. A tornado. A tornado. Yeah. It's a handmade glass. These are glasses. They're just going to come out differently. This is, this is, yeah, this is my illustration, okay? If you have a glass that is full all the way to the top, is there room for anything else in it? Not unless you have another glass, right? You have another glass, pull all the way to the top. Now we have a contradiction. The law of non-contradiction, A cannot be A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. This is a contradiction. 
So in other words, Jesus has to be like a light switch. He's either connected here, and he's fully man, or he's connected here, and he's fully God. That was an Astorian heresy. Okay? That's why these words, truly God, truly man, are so important. There's a big difference between truly and fully. Big difference. Does that make sense? But nature, what, what are they considering nature? Is that the, the character of God, the essence of God? No, this is talking about, they're considering that this is a nature of God. God is a nature of God, and man is but a nature of God. what's nature, though? What, what does that mean? It means, um, basically, his essence, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So, God doesn't change who he is when he became man. All he did is just say, I am not going to use certain powers. You know, I'm not going to, Yeah. It's powers. Yeah. It's it's like the president of the company coming down and being the janitor. He's still a president. He just decides that you know he needs to help out, so to speak. Sort of. Well, sort what, of like that. Yeah. So he what, doesn't change who he is. He does. He doesn't change to who he is. What he did was he added to himself. And so that's what this is. That's what the Chalcedonian Creed says: is he added. So he before he was incarnate, he was God, right? He was God. Whenever he became incarnate, he added the nature of man. This was added at his incarnation. See, that's where I get back to nature. I look at it as when God came down, what he added was that he showed us who he was. And yes, he took on, you know, a resurrected body, but, you know, that didn't change who he was. He was still yeah. the same person, his, his nature. His essence was still the same. That's right. So yep. um, that's what I see when you talk about add. He, I mean, being a man didn't add to his nature or his essence. All it did is it showed us a clarification. It showed us in a physical form who he was so that we could relate to him. Yeah, and also yeah. the glory of the fact that yeah. you know, he died for our sins. Yeah, he, what, what, what is meant by this is he added the, the nature of man. In other words, he became truly man. He had to be truly man in order to pay for the sins of man. Yeah, but, right. but see, that's back to nature again. Yeah. If we're talking about his essence, he's God. He can't, you can't change that essence. But you can add to it. You can clarify the essence, essence to man. Right. But I mean, it didn't, I don't understand how it adds to him. Yeah. Other than... Because he was born. He was born a real man. So yeah. a physical, physical body. So that's, that's whenever he was born, he, like like we went back to before, he didn't, he didn't change. He didn't, this is where it's a, it's a little bit confusing. He didn't come sucking out of the universe because he's omnipresent into the body of man and was just present in this body of man. What he did was he was still God, still omnipresent, still consuming the entire universe. But he added the name, he was born into the world as a man, right? And he was born into the world as a real man, as a real man. And that's what this word truly means, that he was exactly like us. Wouldn't it just mean he added the man, the man part of us, like the the hunger, the hurt, the, yeah. the pain, yeah. you know, everything? That's what I get from truly added, truly. That's added. right. That's that's why. Not nature, though. Not two natures. 
See, well, that's the thing. That I think yeah. that word is the thing. And, and, and the definition of nature is the basic or inherent features mm -hmm. of okay. something. Okay. So that makes does that sense. make more? Does that yeah. sense in what you're trying to say? Yeah. Like it's it's the feature of them. Right. Right. That's that's good. yeah. Okay, yeah. Otherwise, that nature, I just, <laughs> I wasn't going to get it. This is a very confusing thing to talk about, but it's very important because it helps us to understand who Christ was. And that's why, that back to where, right from day one, I said, you know, people say, well, Jesus left heaven. Jesus didn't leave heaven. He, he became man. He, he added the nature of man to himself. And so, and he was truly man. He had to be truly man in order to pay for the sins of a man. So we believe that Jesus Christ was a real man. He wasn't just a ghost or, you know, like the Gnostics believed that he was um, just a, they called him a phantasm. Um, but we believe that Jesus Christ was an actual man. Uh, but he was also truly God. And these two natures are inseparable. You can't distinguish... You can, we can distinguish between them, but we can't separate them. And that, that goes back to what Sproul's saying. And that's what this creed does. We're out of time, but I want to read this creed real quick. And we'll get into this a little bit deeper. Because it'll probably make some sense. And a lot of the words that we've been using should kind of start jumping out at us. So it says, We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, important words, of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial or co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us without sin. Begotten before all ages of according to the manhood. Oh, I just uh, I'm still trying to get used to these glasses. So, <laughs> begotten before all ages of the fatherhood, father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of the natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, the only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. So a lot of those words just start kind of jumping out at you that we've read, that we've talked about. Um, subsistence, we spent quite a bit of time talking about that word. Uh, we're talking about nature. That's another word that's come up quite a bit. And then we have... Um, some other words that we're going to get into next week. <laughs> so, and we'll, we'll jump into this a little bit deeper next week. Because this is confusing, but this, this kind of blows my mind a little bit. Just like the Trinity does. Like I said, it's, it's difficult to understand the Trinity. 
And it's probably even more difficult to understand that Christ had two natures. Um, but it's important for us to understand why. Uh, and, and, but it, but it, whenever you start understanding this, then whenever Jesus says things like, I don't know, in the Bible, it starts making sense. It starts making sense. We start seeing his true human nature, but we can't, again, we can't separate them or divide them in any way. So we'll talk more about it next week. And if you have any questions, be free to email me. Um, call me. Yeah, Fordham to Rick. That's right. Fordham to Rick. Fordham to Rick. All right, so any last questions or thoughts? We're five minutes late, and I want to be respectful of you guys' time, so. I'm sure there'll be plenty of questions next week. Thoughts? All right. Very good. Uh, Rick, you close? I'd love to. Thank you. Well, Lord, Father, we just uh, thank you that you are with us and that you were here with us tonight. And we thank you so much for Mike that's been taking the time to instruct us. And we ask, Lord Father, that as we learn, uh, that you would empower the things that he's telling us to our hearts. That we could understand you and see your face, Lord Father. We thank you for all that you've sustained us with and how you continue to sustain us. We thank you for your mighty hand taking the time to reach down to us. Lord Father, may you be blessed uh, through us and in us and for us. Lord Father, I ask in Christ's name, Amen. Amen.